0: You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number nine, recorded in July 2011. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. And I'm Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. Hello, Sandy. Welcome back for our ninth episode together. Hard to believe, huh? Yeah, it's great. I'm getting really
1: into this. I love the opportunity to have a dialogue, and I love the responses that we're receiving from people. And um, I appreciate that, and I want to encourage people, if you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion, on the kinds of topics you'd like to hear more about, please email us at gcwj at vanguard.edu or call us at 714-556-3610, extension 2242.
0: And today we are going to be looking at a couple of key factors in what causes human trafficking. And the more we can keep ourselves educated, Sandy, the more that we can... Uh, really understand what are the factors we could also approach on ending human trafficking, and we're going to be talking today about the push factors and the pull factors uh, that are involved with human trafficking, and that's the terminology that the um, that folks are, are really advocates are, are are using, correct? Exactly,
1: exactly, and of course the the closest um, real life example of what this is all related to is in business, when you talk about the law of supply and demand. And we talked about that in an earlier podcast. Human trafficking is big business. It's about people making money. And so you have to begin to understand um, what makes someone, a person, a human being, part of a supply chain for a big business, something uh, that is considered a commodity that can be bought and sold. How do we begin to identify the patterns that result in a person being sold? And those those, um, issues are things we want to address as push factors. So we're going to leave the trafficker to the side today. We're going to um, not focus on how to identify or rescue victims who are already being trafficked, But if we want to end human trafficking, we have to go further upstream to prevention models. And that means we need to understand how someone becomes so easily accessible to become part of a supply chain. What are the push factors for that?
0: This is, uh, I think for me, it's the language is always a little awkward just because usually when we're talking about supply and demand and supply chains, we're talking about parts. Parts. And raw materials, and just-in-time uh, supply chains, and and major corporations, and unfortunately, those same concepts are happening in human trafficking because it is such a profitable enterprise, and it really is an enterprise. That's what's driving a lot of the uh, the trafficking is the profit that's involved. Sandy, and so uh, it's it although it's odd that we're using this language to talk about human beings. We have to in order to really understand the full scope of this issue and it it comes right down to Econ 101 supply and demand and so uh, I'm glad we're looking at this to really get a good feel for that.
1: And you bring up a really good point because it's a dehumanizing activity and that makes this issue a human rights activity. What we're doing is speaking up for the rights of others and these are people who are created in the image of god and one person has that stamp just like another person and so there's no difference in the value between a child born on the west coast of africa and a child born here in southern california
0: and so, so today we're going to be looking at the push factors correct and that's the that's the supply side of the demand supply equation and kind of the law of supply and demand correct Exactly. Okay.
1: And in a victim-centered model, one of the things we have to understand is who are the victims and how did they become victims?
0: Before you even uh, go into that, Sandy, could you tell us more about just that terminology, victim-centered model? I've heard you use that a few times, and I'm not sure I understand the the definition of that. Is that different than other types of models that uh, people would look at?
1: It's, it's really a term that has um, developed out of law enforcement approaches to human trafficking. Mm, and here okay. in Orange County, using a victim-centered model meant that law enforcement would approach a crime scene, for instance, a, um, a brothel, an illegal brothel, mm-hmm. with the idea that some of the people in that illegal activity vicinity were not criminals, but were in fact victims. So they began to approach the entire case differently and extend the kind of dignity and um, opportunities for for basic rights to be able to tell their story, to protect them. Um, so then you have the protection and the prosecution as part of that 3P model. Remember, prevention, protection, prosecution. Right. But if you don't treat them like victims, you treat them like criminals because they are actually involved in a criminal activity, then they're not going to be uh, free to testify so that we can get those prosecutions. And we aren't going to really be able to identify their actual um, exploited experience.
0: And I can imagine that that has been and probably still is a major uh, mindset shift for law enforcement in that the typical, traditional thing and the easy, quote unquote, easy thing to do is to get a number of arrests. And you find people engaged in criminal activity and you arrest them and you uh, have arrest numbers. But as we've talked about on many occasions, that often doesn't get to the root of what's really going on, the larger issue. And Mm. so
1: that's what we want to talk about, the bigger issue so that we can begin to identify how to make it more difficult mm. to easily assess that
0: supply chain thanks for clarifying that for me so so let's jump in let's talk about a couple of these uh push factors and it it looks like uh, we're gonna talk about uh we have our notes in front of us here and we've divided these into a a couple of different categories one are some primary factors and then one are the secondary Uh, the other one's the secondary factor sandy so why don't we start off with the primary uh, push factors what are what are some of the key things that really do uh, push supply
1: well, what we've determined in the literature is that gender, age, um, if they're widows, uh, if they're an ethnic minority in their in their vicinity, if they've been experiencing abuse already or if they have disabilities, those kinds of bottom line things that a person doesn't have any control over um, these are things that become primary to developing push factors that increase their vulnerability to become part of the
0: supply. Hmm. So let's uh, look at those one by one and and take a look at what it is that causes that particular factor to to be a factor, a push factor in human trafficking. Um, let's start off with gender, right? This may be a obvious one, but I think it's an important one for us to discuss too.
1: Well, and it certainly falls within the framework of the Global Center for Women and Justice, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, for sure. Gender is a big issue. Um, we have very different social constructs for the roles of men and women in different countries, different uh, societies, different cultures. But bottom line is that gender is a social construct. And sex is physiological, so they're a male and they're a female. It depends on where you are, how women and how men are treated. So in 2008, the United Nations produced some um, studies that indicated that women owned less than 1% of property globally. It's amazing, isn't it? And when you understand the basis for power, land ownership is huge. Mm-hmm. So, if women own less than one percent of property, what does that say to their ability to control their circumstances? These are these are issues that we don't think of so much here in Southern California, on my home, um, or even I've, here in the
0: states. Uh, you know, anywhere. Yeah,
1: because my in my. Um, experience when we own a home my name is on the deed it's my husband and myself mm-hmm. not not only his name but in many cultures uh, women owning property is not an easy thing to um, have happen so property ownership is an issue that um, drives the um, the gender construct that reduces the power base for a woman Other things like son preference, and this is something that we are um, seeing continue to rise. There was a report just this week in one country where the number of abortions of little girl babies had jumped again in another, another area. That means that the desire to have a boy because of the kind of technology that we have now for determining the sex before birth, results in reducing the number of little girls born. So even before birth, even before birth, the discrimination is there because of son preference. I think um, there was a a big news magazine, it might have been Times, that ran a cover story that said one hundred million women missing globally, and they were talking about son preference. How does that impact human trafficking mm,
0: i do I do remember that seeing that on a cover i can 't remember which one, but yeah that's
1: well even if the child is born, that son preference continues to be a decision making process in the home, so that in a in a place where there are reduced um, accessibility issues with education, with medication, with food, then the choices for who gets those limited resources are based on son preference. So for example, you have a five-year-old boy and a seven-year-old girl. You have um, a sickness that's going through the village and they need to get antibiotics and you have enough money for antibiotics for one child. Which child? do you get the antibiotics for? For the child that as, a, as an adult will be more productive, so that will be the boy because he has more opportunities and the little girl doesn't have the same opportunities and those same decisions are made so that then if you are in a situation where um, there's a debt, there's um, uh, challenges where... Uh, your children are kind of your resources. Parents make very difficult choices, not because they want to, but based on um, the patterns that have been established in those cultures. And we are hoping to see changed so that um, the little girl is the one who is forced into domestic servitude to pay a debt, not so, the little boy.
0: So all of these things, I mean, just, just around the gender and just those those types of issues can lead to Human trafficking, labor in, trafficking, sex trafficking,
1: and increased vulnerability to becoming part of the supply chain because you're more easily assessed, accessed than um, than the boy, be just because of your gender. Uh, and in in the same um, scope of gender is if you're a widow, that increases your chances of your risk for being trafficked. Mm. And in fact. How so? Um, because again, when your husband dies, the property stays in his family. It's in a patriarchal line, and uh, you have you have no resources. And so, how do you support yourself? And in some studies, the number of um, women who are are pulled into commercial sex are is directly related to the fact that they are widows. And in fact, um, one study in the war area around Iraq showed that many of the, and, and in fact 60% was the, um, de, the statistic that they determined, 60% of the, the refugees that ended up in brothels being um, sold for commercial sex were widows, and they had no um, options outside um, for survival, and they were wow. coming as refugees from war-torn areas.
0: Hmm. How does age play a factor?
1: Age is a factor because the younger, and we talked about brain physiology, these kids um, don't have the same resources to protect themselves, but they also don't have the ability to make good decisions and to take risk factors into their decision making process. Mm. Consequently, um, when someone offers them a way out of horrific circumstances, they're very easy to entice. And when you talk to traffickers, to, to pimps for commercial sexual exploitation um, businesses, uh, you will begin to, deter- to understand that the supply is so um, easy to access that they often are not uh, resorting to violence and kidnapping because it's much easier to recruit a willing victim who doesn't understand what they're agreeing to do when they think they're going to a job. So age becomes a risk factor partly because of the developmental stage so that their understanding to protect themselves is not as high. Age is also an issue when it comes to um, their their resources. They can't get a real job. They don't have a place to live. Um, homeless youth, Is an issue globally. And many people will point to countries like um, in Ukraine when I visited in January. I learned that the number of street children between 12 and 17 uh, was in the thousands in just one city. Hmm. But I came back to California only to find out in February that in California we have 200,000 homeless 12 to 17 year olds on any given week. It's incredible. So, age is a risk factor.
0: Yeah. Oh man, and a and a tough one to get our minds around because, unfortunately, children are so often victims of this, not of because of circumstance, not because of you know they're doing or anything. So it's it's. Um,
1: and I think I think we've also mentioned it because it's it's related the issue of abuse that has already been experienced and either by children and even by um, adults, when they're living in an abusive environment, that totally increases their vulnerability to being recruited because this is a way out of what uh, is already a hellish life.
0: Tell me about the, um, we have down here, ethnic minorities. Um, how, How does ethnicity play a role in this?
1: Ethnicity is uh, a really, we could do an entire program just on the risks um, related to ethnicity.
0: All right, I'm writing that down. We will. We will do one.
1: But just off the, uh, uh, for just a a brief glimpse at that, um, one of the things that we've identified is that many of the recruiters that bring um, victims to destination countries, especially Western, more economically um, affluent countries, are from the same ethnicity and they're um, they're usually in a place where that group is not the empowered group doesn't have the same access to resources to wealth and so consequently um, they are already in a struggle for some kind of equitable place in their culture mm. and so escaping and going to a place where there are more opportunities in the West, it's that dream, um, is very, very attractive to them.
0: And abuse and disability play roles in this well, as well.
1: we um, it, And this is one thing that breaks my heart. Um, victims who have physical and mental disabilities are very easy to manipulate. Um, a deaf child, um, um, a child with Um, Some kind of mental disability these they're not they can't easily figure out who to tell what's happening They may not even have any opportunity to tell anybody and so people with disabilities are particularly egregious um, um, cases and Definitely something we need to be addressing a lot more in our own country and globally
0: and You mentioned also abuse. What is, um, when we think about uh, abuse, how does that play a role in trafficking?
1: When um, we talk about abuse, there are different stages and kinds of abuse, but particularly a child who's growing up in a home where sexual abuse is uh, a problem, they're going to be looking for a way out of that. They want their own control. And we um, but we've also seen women who are trying to escape um, a family violence situation, intimate partner violence, and they want to find a place where it's safe and where people um, will take care of them. And because many of those abuse paradigms are in situations where there is a lot of control and the finances are controlled, the resources are controlled. That person escapes that abusive um, situation with nothing, no resources, and consequently survival becomes their um, their first uh basis of making choices so when someone offers them a place to stay offers them um, some way to make their way forward they're very vulnerable it's it's
0: it's unfortunately very easy to see how all of these can be factors. And of course, for some people, many, if not all of these things come into practice and come into play as far as how they would end up in in, in, in human trafficking.
1: And that's why the second level is so important because the second level isn't just um, some more problems, but these are actually somehow linked to how we can move People from being more vulnerable to being less um, vulnerable. Hmm. So and so these
0: are these secondary factors would be things that would keep them from being as vulnerable, or well,
1: when we address these are these are like the symptoms. It's kind of you know. Remember, I'm a nurse. So if you have. If you have a disease, I'm going to be able to see what your problem is based mm-hmm. on your symptoms. Mm-hmm. So the secondary things are really symptoms, and they're things that we can be use to be able to identify those, those root problems. I see. and begin to figure out ways to address those root problems.
0: So we can do more about the secondary factors than we can about the primary factors as far as how we would serve, serve someone.
1: Well, we need to, we need to keep those things in mind as we develop plans for um, sustainable approaches to mm-hmm. ending the causes of those root push factor, okay. factors.
0: Well, let's take a look at the secondary factors then and uh, see what what comes into play here.
1: Well, we're going to look at poverty, education, employment, and um, documentation. Okay. Poverty is a given. If someone has no resources and someone offers them money, um, they're going to be much more... Uh, at risk if there's nothing in their pocket to buy bread, to buy, um, to pay for their electricity so that they can have heat or in today's weather, right now, air conditioning, yeah, to survive. So, how do we address those poverty issues? And that is really related to, um, the next two things education and employment. People who have not had the opportunity, the, the, um, the I can't find exactly the right word, but education empowers people. It gives them tools and resources that are for self-reliance. And with education, uh, someone can figure out how to start their own business. They mm-hmm. learn business practices, and we've seen incredible opportunities for women in development as um, starting their own business, entrepreneurs has become a big big way of addressing the poverty issues that make women more vulnerable to being exploited. Education is going to help us reduce the poverty level. But even if you educate people, if there are no jobs, what are they going to do with that education?
0: Which is a huge problem, of course, in the Middle East right now. And part of the what has been termed the Arab spring of, uh, well-educated folks who don't have job opportunities and it's caused a tremendous amount of social unrest. So I, I would imagine that there are some, some of those same factors at play here when we are looking at things through a human trafficking lens.
1: And when we look at how we're going to address those employment, um, options, we are looking for real business models we're looking for sustainable business models that will build the economy in that community and consequently reduce risk for everyone, mm. not just girls, but also boys, young women, and men.
0: And the education and employment, I'm sure, just like you know, here in the states where we live, it goes hand in hand. The more education you have, the more employable you are and vice versa. So it's, uh, it's amazing how much these all linked together to be be factors and and risk factors, really.
1: And if there are no jobs, if there are no jobs in your community, then you're going to be reading the newspaper every day looking for a job in a nearby city. And then when you think about moving to a nearby city, then it's not that hard to think about moving to a different state or a different country because you need a job. A job is how we survive. Mm. And when you take that risk... To move, then you factor in this last issue with secondary problems, and that's the issue of documentation, identity papers. To get that job, people will um, often use uh, tactics that are illegal, and smugglers, um, it, that's, a, that's a crime. But people who provide documents to bring someone across the border illegally to exploit them That's not smuggling, that's trafficking, and has a much higher penalty. It's a human rights violation, not an immigration issue. And that's another issue I'd like to invite an attorney to come in and uh, interview with us on on how that all works. But the bottom line is the supply chain for human trafficking is full of people who had no options, but they had a dream And that dream for a better life, to find options, to find a job, to be able to support their families, that dream is what placed them in the place of risk where they were so easy to recruit and fill the supply need for a business person who was selling human beings for their own profit to meet the demand of whatever their business happens to be whether it's labor or sex trafficking either way it's the exploitation of humans and the dehumanizing of an individual
0: so bottom line it really comes down to and again it's it's hard to look at it through this lens sandy but bottom line it really becomes an economic decision in a lot of ways
1: exactly exactly for, and for the
0: for the trafficker and for those who are trafficked
1: you know we have, uh, I remember teaching my kids how to make a decision, make a column of pluses and minuses. What yeah. are the pros and the cons? And so if I'm I'm a, um, a 14-year-old girl with families that my family needs things, there are no jobs here. And someone offers me a job to wash dishes in a restaurant in California, um, and I put down Pluses and the minuses. Well, the plus is there's a job in California. The minus is, well, there aren't any minuses because I have no job here. Mm -hmm. I have no education. I have no opportunities. So this seems like a good idea. And just telling people don't do it is not enough. We have to begin to address those root push factors so that that won't happen. And I'm really excited about our next podcast because we're going to interview a young couple living in Honduras hmm. who went back to the root causes and found a way to establish a sustainable business in a place where young people had no employment opportunities and I can't wait to talk to them
0: and and I'm excited to talk to them too to learn what what more we can know about that that side of the equation because I think probably we hear less about the push factors than we do the pull factors in um, just the media and things that are, we're hearing popular media right now. So I'm I'm looking forward to hearing their perspective as well too. And speaking of keeping ourselves educated, uh, we, I'm not sure if we mentioned on the last podcast, but we, uh, we're continuing to remind everyone about the conference that's gonna be coming up at the beginning of 2012, that the Global Center for Women and Justice is hosting at Vanguard University here in Southern California. And I know uh, for many of you, March of 2012 seems like an awful long way away, and particularly because here in the States, uh, for those of you here in the States, and, and particularly those of you in the Midwest, it has been a hot <laughs> few weeks. Uh, many places are been in the 100-degree-plus 100, 100 temperature zone, and uh, and I know what that's like because I grew up in Chicago, and I know all of you are sweating and, and thinking, why would I want to come to California? Well. At the first week of March, it is going to be cold and snowy and freezing everywhere in the country. And in Southern California, it's going to be about 70 degrees. uh, That's right. Sandy and and, and warm and sunny, hopefully. And so that would be one reason you'd want to for sure come out. But of course, the more important reason is because you're going to really educate yourself and be able to study these issues in great depth. And so Sandy, could you tell us a little bit about what we should expect the conference coming up on march 2nd and march 3rd
1: march 2nd and 3rd women education and justice and this is an opportunity for us to really begin to understand what it is we need to say what we need to do our our tagline for the center is study the issues be a voice make a difference Sometimes we want to jump in and start talking about things, and we might actually be going in the wrong direction. So we're going to spend two days looking at the issues that surround, particularly the gender risks that are inherent in um, the situation globally for women. And hopefully, We will walk away with new partnerships, new collaboration, new ideas, new things we need to study so that we can understand better what to say and understand better what to do.
0: And not only that, but a great network of people who also care deeply about these issues and uh, can form great partnerships to really assist all of us in helping be advocates against human trafficking. And so we're going to build some great relationships in March, Sandy. So we hope that you'll plan to join us as well. And as Sandy mentioned, we're going to be having some special guests for our next episode coming up here in two weeks. And so we're excited to have them. And uh, Sandy, thanks again for your time and your expertise. We're so glad to have you. You're a real treasure for Vanguard.
1: Thank you. And I, if you're looking for information on any of the things we've talked about, please go to GCWJ.
0: .vanguard.edu. Or you can email us gcwj at vanguard.edu and we will see you next time. Thanks, Sandy. Bye.